Welcome, everyone, today to Victoria and Friends. Seriously, you have been such a dear friend to me. And I'm so grateful that I can call you my friend. So, Father, I just ask you to help our friends. I'm good. It's so lovely to be with you. (laughs) You don't have the face for radio. You have the face for television. (laughs) Today, I'm talking to a friend of mine. You're amazing. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria, and congratulations on your new show. Welcome to Victoria and Friends. Victoria's guest today is an international speaker, best-selling author and spoken word artist best known for her spoken word piece, I Have a New Name, Hosanna Wong. And now, here's Victoria Osteen. I am so excited to talk to my friend and my guest, Hosanna Wong. Now, she's an international speaker, she's a best-selling author, and she has an amazing spoken word ministry, and it is so incredible. I am so glad to have you here today. Hosanna, how are you doing? I am well, friend. I'm so excited we get to do this, to connect with your people. This is so cool. I love it, too. Now, Hosanna, you have you have a book called How Not to Save the World, but you also mm-hmm. have a brand new book out that uh, is entitled, You Are More Than You've Been Told. So tell us a little bit about your new book. Yeah, I find that a lot of us have been told so many lies about ourselves. No wonder we're so confused about who we are. We've been told we're unworthy, unwanted, unlovable. And I find that certainly we struggle with the harsh words of people on social media or something mean that a coworker said to us this week. Yes. But I find more times than not, it is because of people that we trusted that said something to us that hurt us or something that we heard in our childhood, something our mom said to us or our dad never said to us or the people who should have stayed but didn't. The people who should have defended us, but didn't. Some wounds go so deep. And when we believe lies about ourselves, when we believe the wrong things about ourselves, it traps us into the wrong patterns of living. And so I really wrote the book that I felt like I needed when I was in high school, when I was in college, when I was just married. I needed to know you are more than you've been told. You deserve to stop seeing yourself through the broken lens of other people. And it's time to see yourself through the lens of God to discover who you really are so you can live the life you've been created to live. And then I wanted a book that didn't just tell people who they were, but how to know who they are, how to have practical, tangible tools so they can know who they are and live like it every single day. Hosanna, tell us a little bit about your story and where you came from. I I think your father was in ministry. Is that correct? Yeah, my dad um, first, um, you know, he didn't know Jesus. He was a heroin addict who fought in a gang and someone introduced him to Jesus and Jesus changed his whole life. My dad then ended up starting an outreach to those living without homes and battling with addiction on the streets of San Francisco. And that's how I grew up. We had outdoor services with our friends on the streets two to three days a week. People brought their alcohol bottles. People brought their needles. That's how I learned church. I learned later in life when other people said they were also raised in church. We were not talking about the exact same thing, but that's where I learned that Jesus could save anyone's soul and redeem anyone's story and would use anyone who would say yes. So that's my background of the church, just simple gospel telling people who they are and how they are more than they've been told. There's a new life available for them through Jesus Christ. And it's also where I learned the art of spoken word poetry. 
all my friends on the streets did it. It was not unique. I was not unique. All my friends on the streets did some sort of some sort of freestyling or spoken word or hip hop. And so as I grew up on the streets, that was just my natural language. When my dad got cancer and passed away when I was 18 years old, I sought to find how I could share about Jesus when I didn't have his testimony and I didn't have his obvious talent or platform, the thing that I had in common with my friends far from God was this art. So spoken word poetry was always just a way to find commonality with the people around me to share my story. And as I began to know Jesus for real myself, it naturally came out in my spoken word poetry. So spoken word was always just the way that I had, um, I was able to bond with my friends and share the love of Jesus with my friends. And I think back then I would have thought it was less than, maybe kind of lame uh, to share Jesus through this art form with my friends. But I see now how the things we have in common with the people in our real lives, the things we have in common in our real relationships are really a door, a catalyst to share about God through our real lives and our real relationships. And now I feel just blessed to still get to share spoken word poetry with my friends, uh, just a few more friends and sharing the love of Jesus through this story. Some of my listeners might not know what that means, spoken word. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about it and where we can hear it. Yeah, it's like oral storytelling. Some people rhyme. I don't rhyme as much. <laughs> I like to say Jesus is the original spoken word artist. Like he told short stories with images and deep truths. And so there's a secular form of it for sure. People can just share their stories through spoken word poetry. But when you shared about Jesus, the way I use it to share the gospel, I'm sharing my story and I'm sharing the story of Jesus and how he interacts in our real lives. And so you could stream my spoken word poetry on Spotify, Apple Music under Hosanna Wong um, or watch videos on YouTube, but it's short stories told rhythmically to music. And I find that the younger generation who really today love sounds. They love short clips, short stories, and they call it sounds, sounds that are trending on Instagram, TikTok. And nowadays I see it as a ministry, as a way to help the word of God be the sound of truth that is echoing in our homes, in our headphones, in our hearts. And so nowadays I really see it as a part of um, my mission for everyone around the world to have truth in their pocket and to know who they really are. So they can stream it uh, at all those places. Your kids might've already seen it on TikTok or on YouTube. Um, one of my um, most well-known poems is called I Have a New Name. And that is one that declares the names that God gives us. And that's a really great one. If you want to share this with your kids, a great one for them to hear what God thinks about them, to see themselves through his lens. Yeah, I love this. And you were talking uh, earlier about how a lot of this spoken word uh, is taken from or works in conjunction with your with your new book, which I think is so cool because that'd make a very cool like gift package thing. You know, it is yeah. kind of very, very cool. But your heart is really to, you know, spread the word of 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 God and and have people know who Jesus is and what he's done. And in one of your right. your first books, um, How Not to Save the World, uh, you ha you tell a little story about your brother. And can you share that with us? Yeah, I think these two messages really kind of go together because for so much of my life, I thought I'm not the right person to share the story of Jesus. 
I believe people should know about Jesus, but I'm not skilled enough, smart enough, or spiritual enough to seal the deal. You know, someone else should do it. And over time, when it came to my little brother, there were times when I just started to believe that there was no hope for him. And that was a lie that the enemy wanted me to believe. I think when we start to think that there's no way that our stories can make an impact, or there's no way that God would use us, or there's no way for our loved ones to know God, you know, we're believing lies that the enemy hopes we believe because he knows the power of our position and the power of our story and the power of our real relationships. And I learned that really through my relationship with my little brother. When I was 18 years old, my dad passed away. My baby brother, Elijah, was 12. And Elijah shut down emotionally. He didn't want to talk about anything, much less God, much less our dad. And over time, I realized when I would call Elijah, because I was seven, eight hours away in college at the time, the only thing Elijah wanted to talk to me about was superhero comic books. And I was so mad at Elijah that he didn't want to talk about what I wanted to talk about. And he wouldn't step into my world. But over time, I realized that if I wanted to have a relationship with Elijah at all, I couldn't just be mad that he wouldn't step into my world. I needed to step into his. And so I started to become obsessed with superhero comic books. And I would drive seven hours into my hometown of San Francisco, and we would go to thrift stores and look at vintage comic books together. When Marvel started making all these movies, I would drive in for the premieres. We wear Marvel t-shirts and eat popcorn and watch the premieres on the big screen. Over time, you know, I started dating my now husband, Guy, and I told him, hey, by the way, you know, we're really into superheroes. This is how I stay connected to my little brother. Then he got really into superhero movies and comic books with us. And this is what I'll say. Over time, Elijah started to trust me. This is kind of what we were talking about earlier about the power of commonality. There is so much power in having something in common with people, but for so many people in my life, I don't have Jesus in common with them. You know, the way that you and I met, you know, sharing about Jesus, talking about Jesus in our real lives, we already had something in common before we became close friends. For so many of our friends, we don't have Jesus in common. So what else can we find to have in common with them? So it is a catalyst, a door to share about Jesus through our real lives. We don't want to be fake. We don't want to put on a facade. We want to open up our real lives to show the real hope of Jesus. And so over time, it took years. And I will say I did not do it perfectly. There were times I said too much and I was aggressive and rude and I had to apologize and my brother had to forgive me. There were times I didn't say enough when I could tell my brother needed some hope. And because of my fear, my insecurity, I didn't say anything. There was this constant tug of war inside of me, just feeling like I wasn't enough, but in humility, apologizing and in faith, continuing to be present with him. Yes, I fumbled through it, but 11 years later, after many moments of asking him what he thought about God and, and sometimes him ad admitting, I'm mad at God and us praying together, me admitting I'm mad at God sometimes too, me not talking above him or over him, but being with him and admitting that I struggled with some of these things too. Over 11 years of a real relationship where he started to trust me and he saw Jesus through my real life because we were in close proximity. 11 years later, he came to my, my home um, visited my husband and I, and he sat at our dining room table and he said, okay, I'm, I'm ready for the hope you have. 
I'm ready for the peace you have, the joy you have. And I know it's Jesus because you've told me 100 times and I get it. And in that moment, I realized that God also uses overbearing, overtalkative big sisters, like whatever you are, he will use. And in that moment, my brother, I think my brother seeing me fumble through it, my brother seeing me have moments of insecurity, moments of battling with my faith, moments of going through fire myself and seeing Jesus through my real life, that close proximity relationship is what made him know, man, if God can save my sister, he can probably save me. And he believed me. The facade had fallen from me. And uh, he gave his life to Jesus at our dining room table um, in the apartment we lived in at that time. And I will say that if people are looking for a guide to how to perfectly lead everyone they know to Jesus, I have no idea. But what I do know is that there's people in your life who need to know they are not alone. And why would people believe us that the God we're talking about wants to know them if we don't even want to know them? Mm, And God, God sent Jesus to come be Emmanuel, God with us, with us where we really are. And I think if we want to show the love of Jesus to the people right next to us, many times our greatest witness will be our withness. How can we come alongside of people and be with them where they really are? So I think that's maybe why I just see so much power these days in commonality, in real relationships. I think who you really are in your real story is what God wants to use in this exact moment in time. I think you're so right. And I think that's probably, or do you think that it's easier for the younger generation to do this than maybe even the older generation uh, to be, you know, to really say, okay, look, I have, I, you know, I've been through this or I've, mm-hmm. or do you think, or do you think it's harder for the younger generation than the older generation? What do you see out there? Because you speak to both. And you see, mm-hmm. you know, you talk to a lot of people. So how is the younger generation about being vulnerable? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think in, in both, man, in every generation that I serve with and work with, I find more times than not, we don't have this big issue with wanting to share our faith. We don't have this big problem with wanting people to know about God. I find more times than not that we struggle a little bit with being social. It's hard to be social. It's hard to put yourself out there. It's hard to um, make plans with someone and reschedule plans with someone. It's hard to know who's real, who's available. So I think for all of us, we struggle a little bit with being social. And I think that if that's you listening today and you feel like the past few years have really um, made you struggle with knowing who you are, much less how to connect with other people, I think we need to know that God has no guilt or shame for us because of what we might have lost these past few years and how we've kind of had to relearn being social. I think we need to embrace just the next step God is calling us to take, to stretch ourselves a little bit, to engage in real relationships, because this is what we've been created for. And this is how we become stronger in our faith. And this is how we practice heaven. This is how we get closer to God through stretching ourselves in real relationships. But I think the power of commonality is something, is possibly one of the 
greatest ways we will reach the younger generation through them knowing that you're not faking it with them or just talking down to them, but you will do something with them, an activity with them. We cannot just create these iPhones and social media and give it to the younger generation and tell them this is your fault. It is not their fault, but it is their problem. They have a a, a a wall between them knowing how to be really social. And as we try to stretch ourselves and be social with them, be interested in what they're interested in, that sport, that hobby. Hey, maybe it's that artist or that TV show or that comic book superhero. But as we stretch ourselves to have something in common, we are learning how to be more social and more Christ-like. But in a way, we're kind of teaching them something that they might be learning for the first time. And I do think that younger people, that that power in, in common experience will be one of our greatest gateways. Real one-on-one relationships will be the revolution. It's the revolution Jesus started and asked us to continue, that we would love God and love people where they are. And I think we can do that. I you know, Even me and you, like we've bonded over just knowing Jesus, but over time, your love for interior design, like that's something that I wouldn't say we have in common. You're better at it than me, but we have in common that I want your interior design eye. So even like texting you pictures of like, look at my house and would you give me advice on this? I just think that that's what strengthens friendships and how much more for people who don't have Jesus in common with you. Would you being interested in what they're interested in and coming alongside of them, strengthen your relationship with them and possibly strengthen their relationship with God? So many people in our lives don't even have a reference for what a loving, compassionate, present relationship would be like. And you're giving them kind of a taste of what a relationship with God would really be like. I love that so much because I think that that is where the enemy works overtime right now is to keep us from finding commonality, to keep us from, you know, enjoying a relationship with each other. It's easier just to text somebody. It's easier just, you know what I mean, to not really get deep with them. And like, I know a lot of young people don't even like to talk on the phone, but you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, you really have to break those barriers and say, let's go have some coffee. And, And I think it's so interesting that we can learn from each other. And that when we talk about these things that we're all, you know, we're both interested in, we both gain, you know, we just, we both gain. And, and I think it helps us be, want to be that kind of person that I want to be interested in you, not only to help you, but it's good for me as well. And so I I I think that's such a beautiful thing. I think parents, we need to learn to be more interested in what our kids are interested in and not afraid that they're that what they're interested in is going to get them off course or what's going to get them. But to open that dialogue, just like you did with your brother, you know, to open, to get on those common places, that common ground, you know, and I just think we can speak into each other's lives better. In your, in your book, your, your, your new book, you talk about things that happen in your life or distractions in your life that may keep you from your godly purpose. You know, those mm-hmm. things that are trying to keep you from fulfilling your godly purpose. Talk to us a little bit about that. You know, how can battles in, in our life distract us, you know, from, from godly purpose? Yeah, I mean, I think what we believe about ourselves determines how we live. So if we believe lies like I'm not enough, I'm not doing enough, 
I have no purpose. I'm unseen or unwanted. We start living like we are. I know one of the lies that I've believed most of my life is that I'm not doing enough. I have to do more to be loved. I have to do more to be valuable. And I think I can see how that has stemmed from some of my life. I can see how because I had a ministry career from a young age, so many of my relationships were transactional that it made me think that nobody wanted to really be friends with me unless I could do something for them. I can see how my, that might have come from my dad, you know, being a first generation Christian. So even though he loved God and he was a good dad, I think he might have struggled a little bit with knowing what it meant to be a child, a child of God. So because he didn't know better and he raised us, um, think we just did so much nonstop work for God, nonstop ministry for God. And he realized more the truth of the beauty of being a child of God later in his life. That's something I'm trying to reclaim in my life now. When I believe the lie that I have to do more to be more valuable, I never know God um, as, as me being a child of God that can rest and enjoy God and delight in God and know that I am loved without doing one thing. And so what I'm trying to help people do is identify the lies that we have believed that perhaps have trapped us in the wrong patterns of living, help us see ourselves through God's lens to discover who we really are so that we can live the lives we've been created to live. I found that a lot of people, as I've spoken at churches all across the country, have felt what I have felt, which is just feeling disconnected from God and disconnected from myself and feeling like I might've lost his lens of how he sees me and sees the world. And so that is what I'm trying to help people rediscover what God really says about us so that we can live the lives we've been created to live. You know, and I love that because in your journey to reconnect to that situation, how has that helped your relationships with people, with your mm -hmm. husband, with your friends and family? How has that rest and that not, oh my goodness. you know, how has that helped you? Yeah. yeah, it's changed my whole life and I can't overstate it and I can't over-exaggerate it. In fact, the very first line of my new book, You Are More Than You've Been Told, is I'm not the same person. And my husband looks back at me and he says, I know. And it has been this journey these past seven years. You know, I wrote the spoken word piece, I Have a New Name, seven years ago. And God breathed on it and he used it. But I was still not healed from the lies I had heard seven years ago. Even though I wrote this spoken word piece, you know, sometimes we can obey God and God can use things, but there's more things he wants to do in us. And I believe that since God breathed on it and God was using it, that I was done being healed and I was so wrong. And these past seven years have been a constant um, journey. The years after doing I Have a New Name was a journey of me and my husband really being healed from the pain of that season and really learning how to reconnect with God ourselves and with each other. Can I share a brief story about how I learned how to reconnect with God a little bit and my husband? I'll try to be brief. I'll try to spoken word it for you, Victoria. <laughs> um, I was weighed down and I knew that in church growing up, they would say your identity is in Christ and all you have to do is abide. And so I was like, okay, so how do I do that? 
I believe that I was raised hearing that, but what is a practical way to abide? And I called one of my friends who works in vineyards. She's not even a Jesus person yet. So she doesn't know the verse, but she has worked in vineyards um, in New Zealand, up and down the coast of California and Oregon. But she has worked in vineyards for years and she's not a Christ follower. So I knew she wouldn't know the, the, the background of the verse where we get this term abide in Christ. In John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear great fruit. Without me, you will accomplish nothing. But I feel so disconnected from God that I don't understand. I've chosen God. How come I feel disconnected? I've known Jesus most of my life. Am I abiding correctly? Like, How do I actually abide? Because I feel disconnected. And I asked her, can you tell me anything about the relationship between vines and branches? And she said this to me, and it it changed my life and put my life on a new trajectory to get closer to Jesus. She said, yes, all the branches need to live is to be connected to the vine. Yes, but really they need a trellis. Really they need a structure so that it could help the branches grow and flourish. And I said, okay, what if I don't care about flourishing? <laughs> Can the branches still live? if they're just connected to the vine, even without a trellis. And she said, yes, the branches can still live if they're only connected to a vine, but without a trellis, the branches will live their whole lives constantly weighed down and they will fight an uphill battle. They don't have to fight. Eventually they'll break apart from themselves and eventually they'll break apart from the vine. Wow. And in that moment, I just felt the Holy Spirit just speak to me so clearly. I felt it in my gut. I have been weighed down. I have been disconnected. I have lost my structure completely. The answer to how can I abide in Christ, reconnect with God and reconnect with myself really is going to be a structure, a trellis to start to reclaim my schedule and start having a plan of how I'm going to connect with Jesus through some spiritual disciplines, through the rhythm of scripture, engaging in God's word in a new, fresh way, through the rhythm of prayer, learning how to pray to God in a fresh way, the rhythm of rest. I mean, these are the four rhythms that I really talk about in my book, a new trellis that has changed my life, the rhythm of rest, Sabbath and freedom, and then the rhythm of real community which I break down as being confession and celebration. But all that to say is that that started me on a journey of saying there are, there was a structure I had five years ago that I've lost, but I don't think God's calling me to have the same structure I had five years ago. You know, the truth is that when you start, if you are branches and you start to flourish and you start to grow and you start to bear more fruit, you need a new kind of structure. You need a stronger structure, a thicker structure. And here I was in my life comparing my relationship with Jesus to everyone else's relationship with Jesus, thinking I have to pray the time of day that my mom prayed or read the translation my best friend reads, or I have to rest the same day that this friend of mine rests. And I'm realizing now what I want to tell people today, which is that your relationship with Jesus does not have to look like anyone else's relationship with Jesus, but it has to be real. 
and ongoing and authentic. A real one-on-one conversational relationship is what Jesus wants to have with you. And if you are feeling disconnected from God or yourself, if you're feeling weighed down, I wonder if it's time to take a self-audit of your life schedule, of the pace of your life, consider the life you really want to have and start a new structure, a new trellis. So those four rhythms have become a part of my life's trellis. I went on a journey of years studying the rhythms of Jesus, how he lived in private that helped him overcome the lies of the enemy in public and took these four rhythms from Jesus, the rhythm of scripture, the rhythm of prayer, the rhythm of rest, and the rhythm of real community. And my book is really all about the practical ways we can live these out in our modern lives in a way that works for your schedule, that is actually enjoyable and helps you engage and is doable. Something else, something new, a fresh way. And as I've come to a new way to read God's word and a new way to pray, different days of the week um, that I might rest and a, a new idea of what it actually looks like to have community in my real modern life, I have felt the weights that have been weighing me down really be lifted off my shoulders. And it's helped me reconnect with God and myself and with my husband in a way I didn't know was possible. And so I believe that we can reconnect with God and ourselves for real today in our modern world. And it's going to look like a structure. I will say though, that one of the most important things that I learned about this was because some of us um, grew up in religious settings or maybe in a tradition where all the emphasis was on the spiritual disciplines, right? Almost as if the spiritual disciplines could save you. In order to be saved, you must read the Bible this much or pray this much or go to church this much. And if we didn't make the mark or check the box and all this guilt and shame was tied up into it. But Jesus came to set us free from guilt. And I think what's so important to remember is that there is no power in the structure. There's no life in the trellis. It's just a wooden stick. The whole point of the structure is to help you stay connected to the source of life, which is the vine, Jesus himself. There's no power in the structure. There's only power in the source all of these spiritual disciplines and rhythms of Jesus that I want to help walk people through how to do in their modern lives, all of these things are not the point. They are a means to an end. The whole point is to have a real one-on-one relationship with Jesus. I believe that you will know who you really are when you spend real time with the one who knows you the best. I love that. That's a beautiful analogy. And the fact is we learn differently. We, some people are more routine, some people are more winsome, you know, we, we, we just have different relationships and different interests. Why wouldn't we have a unique relationship with Christ Jesus, you know, and not feel like we have to be put into a box and my friend, she does it this way. And so if I'm not doing it this way, then I must not be, I'm not going to have the blessing she has. I mean, to literally let it be unique to who you are. But knowing that it's not the structure that's given you, but it's the connection. And I think that is so amazing. If you want to read more of what Hosanna has to say, her new book is You Are More Than You've Been Told. I love that so much. I love your spoken word. I know you've got, I have a new name out and you have a couple others that go with that. So I, I, you know, wherever YouTube, I guess you can get it on Spotify, right? And of course, books, wherever books are sold. But Hosanna, this has been so wonderful. And 
You know, I love the fact that this is can really connect to the younger generation as well as to all people. But, you know, we need resources like this to give to our children. We need resources. We need to read these resources so we'll be better for this younger generation. So I love that so much. So thank you for being a part of this. And I've enjoyed talking to you so much. So thank you very much. Thanks, friend. Love you so much. Thanks for listening to Victoria and Friends, produced in partnership with SiriusXM. If you like what you've heard, please leave a review and let us know what you think. And if you've not done so already, subscribe so you'll never miss a new episode. Thanks for listening to Victoria and Friends.